0: This morning, we're going to be in First Corinthians chapter 16, verses 12 through 24. If you don't have a Bible, you can find one in the back of the pew in front of you. We'd love for you to take that home with you. That could be a daily resource for you. If you're not familiar with how to use that, you can find a table of contents at the front of the Bible, and then as we go through, the large numbers are going to be chapters, and the small numbers are going to be verses. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 12 through 24. Let me... Read through this for us. Paul writes and says, Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urged him to visit with you, with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, You know the house of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, because they have made up for your absence, for they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca together with the church at, church in their house send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I Paul write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus amen amen you know every time my wife goes out of town she runs through a list of things I need to keep in mind in order for the children to still be alive when she comes home (laughs) and some of these things I just kind of know intuitively I know that they need to wake up in the morning I know that they need uh, to bathe at some point while she's gone I know that they're going to need to eat. I know that she has generally prepared food for them and experiences taught me, which they will not eat. (laughs) And so she's kind of running through this list of things, and at some point, it really begins to sound a lot like uh, the instructions from the movie Gremlins. Don't get them wet, no bright lights, don't feed them after midnight. You're not going to like what happens if you don't do those things. And so all those things are kind of verbal instructions, but then she gets down to the nitty-gritty, and she writes out, the order of all the various medicines that they might be taking at any point, and it's like five milliliters twice daily, and like she writes the, the word beside it that I can never pronounce for whatever the medicine is, and, and then she lays it out for me. I mean, it is almost idiot-proof by saying that it's almost mat proof and so she's, she's given me this really healthy prescription, this this positive course forward whereby these kids have the best possible chance of being alive when in fact she does return home and we pray that that would be soon lord come or mom come home soon is the prayer that i find myself praying most frequently as paul wraps up this letter he is giving those in corinth a posture of faithfulness to maintain they have been just readily Uh, attacked by their culture by their community and this terrific amount of infighting within the church there in in Corinth and so he gives them this this posture of faithfulness to maintain and and coupled with this he gives them something concrete to look at he gives them a a modelness a, a model of faithfulness to observe there are people there in Corinth who are just doing a wonderful job living out their faith in Jesus. And so Paul calls them to observe. And and that's so incredibly helpful for us. As this letter begins to wrap up, as we begin to bring it to a close, just to have this idea that there is, there's this posture, there's this heart posture that is good for us to maintain, this heart posture of faithfulness, and that there are people even in our body that are good for us to observe, that, are, that it's helpful for us to look at them and the way they live their lives and then in some sense to model our lives after their display of faithfulness to Jesus. Amen? So I think we're going we're gonna to see that. In this. So Paul opens it up and he begins to address the issue of Apollos. Now, if you've read 1 Corinthians recently, you'll remember back in chapter 1 that there's been no small division over the issue of who Apollos is and kind of what his name and what his practice has brought to their community. And so there are those that, when you read through chapter 1, they'll say, man, I follow Paul. And they're they of the, the Paul clan. And there are those that say, no, nah, Paul is just not my cup of tea. He kind of mumble stumbles around. And, and I, really, I really prefer Peter. I really prefer Peter. And then there are those, and this seems to be where the giant rub is, those who follow Apollos. And they say, Apollos is the one that we should follow. Man, he's just an amazing preacher. The way that he turns and twists and, and communicates the word, he makes it so plain, so clear. We want Apollos, and we want him more than Peter, and we want him more than Paul. In fact, we begin to doubt these other guys' ability when you compare it, when you contrast it alongside Apollos. And so there's this cult of personality there. And this is important because what Paul does is we see that Paul has entreated, he has asked, he has begged Apollos to come back to visit with those there in Corinth to share his giftings once more with them. He says, I strongly urged him. This gives us a picture that Paul didn't say, hey, listen, Apollos, if you're not busy in a couple of weeks, would you go to Corinth? Oh, no, okay, okay, okay. No, instead he went to him and said, man, I, I, I think this could be good for you. They want you to come. You could correct some things. And Apollos looks at it and he says, for whatever reason, no, I, I, I can't go, I, I won't do that. Now, it could be, it could be that one of the reasons Apollos doesn't go back is because he recognizes that they're not primarily following Jesus, they're choosing to follow Apollos. And I would say this is incredibly dangerous. This is, this is such a difficult thing, and we tend to fall into these categories. I follow this speaker, or that speaker, or this pastor, or that pastor. No, we follow Jesus, Amen. So Apollos gets this wisdom, and he says, no, I can't come. Apollos was the model of faithfulness they wanted, not the model of faithfulness they needed. So Paul moves from this discussion of this model of faithfulness, kind of showing them you you don't get Apollos. He's not coming back to you, and he's going to insert a stronger, better model for them to follow, and it's somewhat surprising when he gets to it. So let's turn from the idea of, of the model of faithfulness to observe to a posture of faithfulness to maintain. Get to verses 13 and 14, and there are all these really strong commands. There are five commands contained within these two verses. Be watchful, stand firm, act like men, be strong, and let all that you've done be done in love. Act lovingly. These five strong commands, and they all uh, describe or characterize the posture that we should live out our Christian walks day in and day out. So let's, let's think about these uh, in, in kind of the way they would have heard them. Now, if you're speaking to a group of people and you tell them save money or be kind or whatever command, that's generally interpreted, that's generally kind of taken in of what am I going to do on an individual basis, right? So you're sitting there and and you hear this command go out and and you begin to think, how am I uh, as one person going to bring these things to bear? How am I going to do these things? Now this this is good and helpful, right? It's good and helpful, but it also kind of works against what Paul is communicating here. When Paul uh, spoke, when he communicated these commands, there would have been this understanding that it takes all of them to accomplish any of them. Do you understand the significance there? And so if if in a room this size and you hit one or two people or five or six people and you let go of everybody else, you have lost. What Paul writes and says is we have to do these things together, all of us, all of them, all the time. And this is why this is so helpful because these things uh, accommodate for the weak among us. So Paul begins and he says, be watchful, be watchful. No, he's not saying, look, you just need to look over here and find this brother or sister and say, look, I see this sin in your life. I'm going after this sin in your life. I'm unhappy with this sin in your life, and I'm, I'm willing to let this sin be there. In essence, what we're doing is we're looking out for the wolves and the wounded. We're looking out for the wolves and the wounded. We want to make sure that, that, that outside influences have no right ability to have s- sustained victory in the lives of the people of our church. We want to make sure that outside sources have no sustained ability to have an overt influence against the gospel for the lives of the people of our church. And that requires us to be vigilant and to be watchful. Peter, addressing the same issue in 1 Peter 5 and verse 8, said it this way. He said, be sober-minded. In essence, be clear-headed. Be clear-headed. Be watchful. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. When you become a Christian, when you, in essence, say, look, I, 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 I'm broken. I, I can't do this well. I can't do this on my own. I submit myself to you. I want salvation in the name of Jesus. I confess that you died, that you rose again, that you overcame sin and death, and, and I want to be forgiven, and I want to live my life in allegiance to you. When you do that, you declare war. You declare war in a Bible app reading. But when you do that, you declare just fidelity to Jesus. I am am here with Jesus. I am allying myself with Jesus. And the enemy looks at this and says, they're on my list. They are a person. They are a family I want to tear down. They are on my list. And so it takes all of us being helpful, being faithful to watch out for the rest of us tell you it is easier for me and perhaps you find it easier for you to see sinful attitudes and behaviors in other people than it is myself do you experience this it's easier to see sin happily and and, and thriving in the hearts of the people around me than it is sin in my own life and i need the people around me I need the people around me to to come in and and, and to weigh in on the sin of my life and to help me to navigate this, to be watchful for those things that are tripping me up, those things that I'm prone to fall on. And he says, you need to stand firm. Now, pay attention to this. He doesn't say you need to stand firm in your own strength. You need to stand firm in the strength of your numbers. He, He says you need to stand firm in the faith. Now, back in chapter 15 and verse 1, he says, hey, look, you, you're messing up, you're doing all these awful things, but I want to remind you of this, that you are standing strong in the gospel. This gospel of mercy, this gospel of grace, this is what they stand strong in. It's not their, 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 their back story and their history of faithfulness that somebody says, what do you know about the church in Corinth? It's not that people in their area were saying, they're the most faithful, salt of the earth, God-fearing people we've ever heard of. People in the surrounding community would say, oh, those people, there's so much disunity, there's so much uh, infighting, there's, there's so much backwardness, there's so much uh, backsliding. They seem to love themselves and not to love Jesus. And Paul tells them, even in the midst of these things, even in the midst of your inadequacies, even in the midst of your failures, you stand strong in the gospel. You stand strong in the gospel. So when we think about the, the possibility of helping our brothers and sisters to stand strong, we echo the sentiment found in Galatians 6 2 that says, Bear one another's burdens. We don't always all stand strong at the same time, do we? Do we? In the midst of standing strong against this enemy, we look over to our right and we look over to our left and we see our brothers and sisters growing weak in the fight. This is not an opportunity to turn and point at them and say, these are all the ways you failed. These are all the ways you're a terrible person. These are all the ways you're a disappointment to Jesus. But instead, to come alongside this brother or sister over here and to bear up underneath them, to help them stand. And listen, we all need this none of us is perfect none of us is flawless it's only a matter of time before you fail it's a matter of time before you fail listen today you have an opportunity to be vulnerable in your falling and failing and turn to somebody else who doesn't see it and say would you come stand with me today would you help me to stand because today i've got no strength left in my legs Today, would you help me to endure because I've got this terrific failure. I'm failing in all these various ways. Today, would you help me to stand? We have this call to stand and to stand together. He turns and he tells them, he gives them this wonderful command to act like men. Now this, this same verbal idea is, is, is defined in Joshua 1.6 with, with the idea of being strong and Courageous. But what I want you to hear and I want you to understand that he's not asking us, man and woman, to co-opt, to bring into this, this masculine manifestation of faith. Instead, he's calling us to a display of maturity in faith. If you've read carefully over the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul's not making this, 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 this statement and this command, this idea that what it is to be faithful to Jesus is to be a man. What he's saying is what it is to be faithful to Jesus is to not be immature. It's to not be immature. And this is so much a, a better idea than simply saying we all need to be alike, we all need to grow a beard, of which I can. We all need to be mature. And we can be there. We can do this in chapter 13 verse 11 he said when i was a child i spoke like a child i thought like a child i reasoned like a child this is normal and this is natural but christians shouldn't stay this way but for whatever reason we have grown content in this display, in this manifestation of Christianity, we have grown to intent as parents in saying, "My goal as a parent is to see my kid profess faith and be baptized." And for whatever reason, we believe that that is sufficient; that that's enough. Our goal, our objective, is to grow in full maturity of the head that is Jesus. Amen. And so, when he says here, he says, "Act like men." He's saying, "Don't be immature. Don't no longer, no longer engage in this. Instead." When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And this is where we need to head. Our goal is maturity. Our goal, our posture, is to faithfully display his goodness. In chapter 14, and verse 20, he says, Brother, do not be children in your thinking. Do not be immature in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. This calls us to deeply contemplate the the wonderful, timeless truths of Scripture so that our lives might be different and that in our lives being different, we might have phenomenal impact in the lives of those around us. It's never this understanding of a siloed expression of faith that if God grows me, then, then I can mature. But friend, if God is growing you, he's growing you so that you might be impactful to those around you. There's always this understanding that Christianity has its outward expression in your life, never just for you, always live for someone else. So even in this understanding of maturity and seeking to grow in your faith, we recognize we struggle, we stumble, we fall. We're helping one another, helping point out things in somebody's life. If somebody says some truism, friend, God will never give you more than you can handle. We just walk up and we slap them and you say, that's not true, you're a liar. Okay, that's probably not a great response, but I was testing you. I was testing you and some of you passed, praise God. God will certainly allow you to, to experience more than you can handle so that you might be weak and dependent upon him. And that's where he goes next. He says, be strong. If we survey our weeks as we survey our last few days, many of us would testify and we would proclaim and we would demonstrate we have no right ability to be strong. We have no right ability to press on. We have no right ability to be perfect. We have no right ability to overcome. And so what Paul writes here isn't a command to them to somehow engender, to somehow display strength in and of themselves. But what he writes here is in this passive voice. In essence, what he's telling them is, you are broken, you are weak, you are dependent. You need him in order to be strong. And this is the very real idea he gave in 2 Corinthians And and, in chapter 12, 2 Corinthians in chapter 12, this this idea of, of what it is to be weak and that in our weakness we might find strength. Paul says, for the sake of Christ then, I'm content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why? For when I'm weak, then... I'm strong. We get this idea that that, that Paul wants us to understand it's so incredibly freeing to get to. If you live your life as a Christian with this understanding that you're supposed to be strong on your own, it will crush you. This is not a weight you can stand underneath, this is not a burden that you can carry. This is not a command that you can faithfully live out. You are weak. Confess your weakness. Paul calls them to this understanding in Ephesians 6 and verse 10. He says, finally, be strong. Where? Be strong in the Lord. And how? Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. It is God's strength that allows any of us to have any display of strong. Of strength, of strongness in us. This is what he calls us to. And it is so incredibly helpful, so incredibly corrective that he gives these to us in this corporate idea. Now a church who displays these and does this well is a church that is necessarily vulnerable with one another. That we have a freedom that we've created an atmosphere and an environment whereby we can go around and say, look, I'm, I'm tired of standing but I, 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 I can't seem to grow in maturity. I just keep seeming to deal with these same sins over and over and over again. Would you help me? Would you guide me? This broken prayer before God that says, God, I've been seeking to live a life in my own strength. I've been seeking to live a life of demonstrating strength, of having this posture of strength, of this, this Christian uh, pseudo armor where i'm just kind of you know chest popping and i've got all kind of spiritual hair busting out of my chest there and 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 whatever kind of perverted understanding that we've created this thing in instead of what he writes here is that you need to be broken we need to be broken can we be broken together can we be needy together because these are the kinds of people god uses he has no need of strong men and women. He alone is all strength. He has no need of self-sufficient people. He alone is self-sufficient. But he can use the broken. He can use the wayward. He can use the humble. He can use the weak need, And he can use the enfeebled. He can use the immature. Isn't that good news? That he can use us. Not many of us are wise. Not many of us are strong. Not many of us are brave. We might all be able to be used by him. Paul recognizes our propensity towards waywardness and false inclusion and so he has the possibility that somebody would go through there and say, "Watchful, got it. Standing firm, nailing it, acting like a man. Is there any more manly? I think not. Strong. Uh, let's just point at my workout this morning. Answered that question. And so then to that 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 braggadocious moron, he says, "Let all things be done in love." And the guy's like, "What? Let's just say I'm not the most loving." it's super helpful if if Paul had given us a definition for love. And oh wait, he has. In chapter 13, verses 4 through 8, he gives us all these various ways to describe love. He says love is patient, it's kind, it does not envy, it doesn't boast, it's not arrogant or rude, it doesn't insist on its own way, it's not irritable or resentful. Love's never been woken up early in the morning, apparently. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And check it out, it never ends. never ends so Paul says in the midst of being watchful in the midst of standing firm in the midst of doing all these things they should all be characterized and and described as being done in love because you have received the love of God you're able to go out and to extend the love of God this is our posture this is what he says our hearts need to look like this is what he says our actions need to look like this for us as a church is what we need to resemble. So then he turns and he begins to give us this understanding of the most unlikely of models of faithfulness to observe. He turns to them and he says, now I urge you, brothers. And so he reminds them of somebody they know. And and coincidentally, these, these are people Paul has baptized. These are people that carried the letters, the concerns from the church in Corinth to Paul. And he responds to them. He says, now I urge you, brothers, you know the house of Stephanas. You remember that they were the first converts in Achaia. And look at how he talks about them. You remember that they have devoted themselves in the service of the saints. Now, it, it would be likely, right, at this point, if you and I were crafting this letter, if you had given him all of these imperatives, all these commands, you know, be watchful, stand firm, uh, act like men, be strong. And then he would say, you remember the household of Stephanas? They're all of these things. Be just like them. Be just like them. But instead what he does is he goes out and he finds quiet, unassuming people who operate in the shadows, not wanting to be seen, not wanting to be observed, only wanting to be faithful to Jesus. And so he describes these people who have journeyed from Corinth. They've they've traveled all the way to see Paul. They've endured terrific difficulties. And when they got there, they didn't rest. When they got there, they continued to serve. He said, "Do you remember these men? You remember these brothers? They gave themselves to the service of the saints." They were so incredibly busy being at at work in the church, serving other people. And then he turns. Look what he calls them to. He says, be subject to such as these. Submit yourself to men like this. Place yourself underneath them. Come to know obedience through following them well. In fact, he doesn't just stop there. He says, be subject to such as these and to every fellow worker and laborer. Now listen, necessarily what Paul is calling them to understand is that within the confines of a church, there should be no division according to social status or ability. Within the confines of a church, there should be no division according to social status or or ability, now, we routinely break up this way all over our culture, right? So we find people who are more capable, people who are more talented, and we say, I want to I be like this person. I want to play basketball like this person. I want to speak like this person. I want to, I want to uh, understand all these various components like that person. I want to be successful like this person over here. And so we find people who are successful, people who are powerful, and we base our lives and our decisions in an effort to be like them. Paul looks at that and says, throw it all away. Throw it all away. Find quiet servants. Find people who are are primarily known for their service. Find people, and it, it, it takes some depth. It takes some digging. It takes some doing to find these people because there's nothing notable about them. They're not seeking notoriety. These are the kinds of people that, when they're out and they're quietly serving, they don't write about it on social media. And you and I would say, Did it even happen? Which is a great question because there's no written record of it. But somehow it gets done. Listen, check this out. Somehow, kids are kept in the nursery every week with no fatalities. It's just amazing right? Somehow, they sit there with babies screaming at them, and, and they're not quitting in droves. It is wonderful. I've, I've done one Sunday in the nursery, and after six years of counseling, I'm almost to the place where I can go back. <laughs> Quiet, faithful servants, the kind of people who visit shut-ins, the kind of people who pick up, the kind of people who visit Kind of people who faithfully every Monday night are working in our CR ministry. You don't see them, you don't see their faces, you don't hear their stories, but they're faithfully there. No matter what Monday it is, if Monday falls on a Christmas, they're there. If Monday falls on their birthday, they're there. If Monday falls on whatever day, they're faithfully there, serving not for recognition, but because they recognize this is what it is to be a faithful servant. Of Jesus, And this is what Paul says to us. Be like them. Be like them. They're subject to everyone, but you be subject to them. So then he turns and he, he begins to kind of enter back into this narrative. He says, I rejoice at the coming of these men because they brought with me, they brought... to me refreshment and in fact you have been refreshed these guys refreshed paul they gave him terrible news of the church in corinth but still their presence was refreshing and paul seeks to refresh the church through these men carrying back his letter to the church in corinth they are the quintessential servants of the church so paul turns again and he gives them this last command he says give recognition to such people give recognition to such people Now, it's interesting to note that these people operate in no desire to be outed, no desire to be recognized. And are very much working a line of Matthew 6 where he says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you'll have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Can I tell you, this is the normal pattern that we have been expected to engage in this pattern of wanting to be celebrated. I want somebody to come alongside and tell me I'm doing a great job. I want somebody to come alongside and, and, and witness to the fact that I'm doing this amazing thing right now. So I'm just going to snap a picture. I'm just going to tell a couple people a little humble brag in hopes that they tell others so that somebody else down the line can come up and say, I heard this amazing story about you. And I'm just like, yes, it's true. Tell me though. I'd like to hear it from your mouth. <laughs> All right, now let me tell you how it really went down. Paul says, man, they don't don't want to be recognized, but they deserve to be recognized. They deserve to be recognized. We see in Jesus one who came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve. And these brothers have figured out the power of serving other people. That in an effort to be like Jesus, we've got to serve the people around us. There is this, this, decidedly devastating ideology that makes its way into our expressions of individuality I mean we want to be served for whatever reason we advance we as in just kind of people living within greenville texas not necessarily we as a church we want to be served we want to be recognized we want to be celebrated Few and far between are those of us who are willing to serve quietly and to be unrecognized. Few and far between. But let me tell you this is the pattern of faithful service to Jesus the willingness to serve and be overlooked, the willingness to be offended the willingness to be slighted, the willingness to be broken. And our Savior was all of these things. He was broken. He was cast aside. But he continued to serve and to do so faithfully. And he calls us to do likewise. I want you to just think for a second. This idea came to me Uh, on wednesday and and occasionally this thing just kind of keeps coming back to me of the profound difference that we could make in the lives of the people of this church if we would set ourselves on a course of having this posture and if we would set ourselves on the course of being willing to be a quiet faithful servant We could meet every need of the people of our church. Somebody's house burns to the ground, we could meet that need. Somebody brings in a child into their home, we could support them. And having met all the needs of the people of our church, we could roll around into our community, and in our community, we could begin to make a profound difference because we're people who are dissatisfied with merely living out an individual expression of what it is to be a Christian. And when we begin to meet the needs in our community, when we begin to partner well with the other churches of our community, and and then we look and we say, look, Greenville is too small and we begin to look to the outlying communities within our county and we begin to meet these needs and we begin to rally with the other churches and we begin to see our brothers and sisters come along so when we see a church beside us struggling we help them and as a corporate body we bear up underneath their burdens and their struggles because we're unwilling to see a church in our community to struggle And and listen to this, listen to this. When the churches of our community would do this together, we will make For the City look pathetic and weak and anemic. And we will look back and see all the various things that it was able to do in its past, and we will say, wasn't that cute? Wasn't that neat? Wasn't that paltry and small and broken? We're only going to do this together. We're only ever going to do this together. Listen, the ideals contained in Scripture aren't meant to be ideals of things you would hold up and say we'll never get there. But isn't that a neat thing to think about? The ideals held up in Scripture are meant to be those things that we work tirelessly for, that we say I will not rest until we achieve it. I will not stop until it's ours. We will not relinquish until we push back the gates of hell. This is what he calls us to. Quiet, steady, faithful. Jesus wants to see it done. But will we be faithful? Will we? Let me pray for us. Father, your goodness knows no end. Your word tells us that we are to come to you when we are weak. And thank you, beckon those amongst us who are weak and heavy laden to come to you and to find rest. There are members of this body and people across this community, and they have been faithfully serving, and they are so tired. God, I pray that they would come to you and be strengthened. God, we have whole churches in our community that are just flat exhausted and broken and worn out. I pray corporately for them this morning that we would be interceding for them that they might feel rest and renewed. God, for the churches of our community that we would never find our sense of satisfaction in our names, in our brands, in our faithfulness but that we would seek to be faithful to you, to lift high the name of Jesus, to lift high his banner, to make much of him, to see his kingdom expanded. His will be done. Father, this morning I recognize that there are likely men and women within the hearing of this that have yet to submit themselves to you. Their understanding perhaps of Christianity is that they are to be strong and unassailable to present perfection to present a person who's managed all of their sin carefully cataloged in boxes and, and keeping in a tight rein of it God would you set them free this morning would you help them to see that what it is to know you is to relinquish all these things to come to you broken to come to you humbly confessing that you alone are king that your son alone atoned for their sin So God, would you set them free this morning? Would you burden our hearts for this posture? Would you burden our hearts for this model? Cause our hearts to beat like this, cause our lives to be lived like this. We submit these things to you in your son Jesus' name, amen.